0: Gesundheit with Jacobus, health, talk, radio, integrating allopathic and all-natural medicine one show at a time. Here is your host, Jacobus Hollowine.
1: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. It's nice to be with you. Absolutely. It is, uh, didn't sleep a whole lot last night, had a lot of work to do, and uh, just a lot going on in my, my household, at the store. So Anyway, it's great always to be with you, Saturday mornings. Today it is the 25th of August, 2018, and yes, I could have called it an open lines, but I didn't want to. I thought, let's just pick a topic, and the opioid crisis indeed is so bad, and it does not seem to get any better. I thought, let's talk about it today on Gesundheit with Jacobus' show, where we talk about health, healing, and healthy lifestyles. We are talking every day, every week. Well, I talk about it every day, but uh, over here on the radio show, every week about health, healing, and healthy lifestyles. Usually with the experts, we give them a chance to chat about what they like to do, what they like to, what they're researching, the work they're doing, books they've written. Just something that is their life, that is their profession, that is their passion. Nice, really. It is. It is. It's really awesome. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. This is a this is an interesting topic. Um, just want to let you know that when we talk about this, and I, I'll go through some articles and some statistics. Uh, the purpose of the show has never been to diagnose, treat, or cure, but with education, information, and hopefully a little entertainment, I hope to bring you the information that may be helpful, and hopefully that will inspire you to look further, to maybe talk to a professional of your choice, uh, get a book at the library, uh, go on the internet, just learn more about your specific health condition, maybe find a little bit of inspiration to see how and where and when you can start working on your own improvement. Uh, Not all the time, but on a regular basis, I talk to people who tell me that they have doctor's appointments in about two to three months, and then I say, what if you were to change something in your life and you would improve so much that you could actually cancel that appointment? How would that feel? And it's almost like they hadn't thought about that. So yes, we can start changing ourselves this minute, today. So maybe there's something you hear today that you say, you know, this is definitely something I need to check. And uh, opioids is today's topic. Now, I want to start off right off the bat. I have never taken opioids. I, uh, so that doesn't make me an expert. Uh, when Chuck used to be here, he would tell me, what do you want to know? And so he was just an expert, so to say, from taking the opioids when he needed it. And uh, he would try them uh, recreationally or legally And so he would have a lot more information. I have to go primarily by the information that I've been reading that is absolutely fascinating to me and also sad when you look at many of the facts, how it is affecting people on a daily basis, and not just the individual person, but also partners, children, other family members, co-workers who are witnessing a person in deterioration, a person in decline, a person who is withering away because of the use and, sadly enough, the abuse or by or the abuse of prescription uh, anti-inflammatories, and so some people get them illegally. So, please uh, go with me on this. Uh, it, it, it's kind of a three-hour journey. I like to take you on to get a better understanding about opioids as well as the crisis that not just this country is in but the most Western civilizations are in. And I can talk about the crime committed by the pharmaceutical companies and those who prescribe it, but I think that at the start, When this really started to take off, nobody had any idea that this would lose, that we would lose control over this group of medications. And that therefore uh, they work so well in what they're supposed to do that people do not want to, how do you call it, they don't want to quit. And so they say, and I'll show you those statistics. It only has to take five days for you to be an addict. And that is quite something. That is huge. And then we talk, obviously, about the different prescribed drugs, but also about the ones that have had such a bad connotation from the 70s, heroin, and then what we have now, fentanyl. So, welcome. Welcome to Gesundheit with Jacobus. Let's have some fun today. I am looking forward to it. So let's start at the very beginning. Opioids, what are they? Now, opioids is a term for drugs that bind to opioid receptors in the brain and in the body. They include everything from heroin and fentanyl to prescription pills like oxycodone or oxycontin, hydrocodone, which is Vicodin, codeine, and morphine. It is a huge bucket since it covers illegal substances as well as drugs prescribed by doctors, which actually is part of the issue. Regular use of opioid drugs, even as prescribed by a doctor or a medical professional, can lead to dependence. Addiction is not limited to the people using just the illegal opioids, like heroin. Misuse of prescription opioids is a huge part of the epidemic misuse includes people with a prescription not taking it as prescribed taking too many pills at once for example or people without a prescription taking pills they get from a family medicine cabinet or from friends random strangers at a party or drug dealers selling pills illegally now i don't know how these people would get the pills but anyway maybe theft Taking opioids at too high of a dose or for too long a period of time increases the risk of addiction, overdose, and death. The likelihood of using opioid painkillers long term spikes after just five days of use. More than, uh, and because of this, so the likelihood of using opioid painkillers long term spikes after just five days of use. Five. And because of this, A lot of people are dying. In 2016, more than 42,249 people died of opioid overdoses in America, which is more than 115 people every day. And that is 115 people too many. That is really something. If you look at the National Opioid Overdose Death, which is the death rate by type of opioid... There is a huge spike from 2000, when there was, I think, per 100,000 death, per 100,000 population. In 2000, over 1999, it was about 3 per 100,000. Currently, we are sitting at about 14 per 100,000 in 2016. Now, the heroin is at about four per one hundred thousand natural and semi synthetic opioids like uh, oxycodone, hydrocodone those sit at about three and a half per one hundred thousand. Methadone is interestingly enough on the way down it's down to a less than one per hundred thousand, but heroin, like I said, is up. And other synthetic opioids such as fentanyl, tramadol, those are up as well. Those are sitting at about 6 to 7 per 100,000. Those are the facts as of 2017. Good morning, caller. Thank you for joining me this morning. What is your name? How can we help you, please?
2: Good morning, Jacobus. This is Dominic from Dominic in the Morning. How are you?
1: Dominic, nice to hear your voice.
2: You know, I had to call in because this is a subject I'm very familiar with. Uh Um, Seriously. In the 90s, I ruptured three discs. And you could see them in the x-ray. I don't mean to be gross, but they were like leaking. I mean, it was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I was in a wheelchair sometimes and left Hollywood and went to stay with my parents because I couldn't take care of myself. Yes. And we went for like six days with no sleep because the pain... They're just constant pain. And uh, again, it was the 90s, so they were giving away pills like candy, it seemed, and um, went to a pain specialist. I got a feeling, Jacobus, when I went to the specialist, that there were a lot of people there that didn't need to be there. There were people there for workers' comp, who were everyone was complaining about pain, and I did think it was a little odd. But with me, they just had a look at the MRI or the x-ray, and it wasn't like, Somebody's trying to get pain pills. It was right there. You could see that there was damage. Yes. They gave me, I think it was Percocet or Hydrocorazone. I went home uh, in the wheelchair to my parents where I was staying because I couldn't take care of myself really. And I took out these two pills, and they were chubby, they were big pills. And I said, This can't work because this pain is just too. The pain's unbearable, Jacobus. Yes,
1: yes. How could
2: this little pill do anything? That's where my mind was at. I took the two pills, and within 15 minutes, the pain was gone. I could go to sleep. I slept for almost two days. Wow. Uh, it was it was amazing. Now, for me, it was great. I wish today, if I needed Percocet, it would be very hard to get, but it worked unbelievably well. Now, when my back got better, when the pain went away, I stopped taking them. Oh wow! I did notice something weird once. One time, I was I was okay. I had a little pain in my back. It was like maybe three, four months later, and I had an ex. You know, I, had, I still had a bottle of pills, so I took one. And now I don't understand this, and maybe you do. But there was something, and I don't understand how this works. But I took this pill because I thought I had a little pain, and I noticed that I was happy. Huh. I know this is so weird. And I thought to myself, could this be the pill, or maybe I'm just in a good mood right now? But I realized, and I don't know, a little a little pill I took, yeah, it, Jacobus, I was smiling, because huh. I didn't need it for the pain at that point, I guess, but I was smiling, yeah, I was laughing, and I had to stop and say, what, why am I happy? And then I thought, well, maybe it's the pill. And then I thought, which well, just seems odd to me, how could a pill make someone happy? I mean, like, you know... And and uh, so I I was very weary of that. But um, so I'm I I feel so bad for people who just you know they they took it. They saw it made them happy when they weren't in pain, and they kept taking it because a lot of people like to be happy, I guess. But it's it's so addicting. And what I worry about, Jacobus, is I worry about the people who really, really are in agony pain, and they yes. need it for a small amount of time. Absolutely. And 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 then uh, and they can't even get it,
1: you yes. know, because
2: the doctor doesn't want to fill out eighteen forms and get in trouble. Mm-hmm. So some of us are lingering in pain, not me, but you know. And they can't get it. And then some people, because you and me, Jacobis, if you and I wanted to get like this stuff, I wouldn't know where to go. No, Would you
1: I know don't where know where to it. go. No. no, no,
2: I don't know how these people know where to go. I mean, you'd, I hear them say, "Well, a pill is twenty dollars on the street." What street? Where? Do- <laughs> Yeah. I, I, <laughs> how do they know this stuff yes, yes.
1: well it is interesting that you say that it made you happy and it is because these pills somehow have a direct connection with these receptor sites in the brain mm-hmm. that help to numb pain and that pain believe it or not can be both physical and emotional it simply shuts down the pain receptors so you don't have those negative experiences. And I think that with people who are very busy, therefore, at work, and are being told that if you take one of these pills, you don't feel that emotional pain, they'll take it any time because they're trying to climb the ladder Mm -hmm. in their work. And I think that is one more reason that these pills are so uh, randomly used, and so that it is such an epidemic right now because even people who are not in pain take it.
2: Yeah you know it's weird to me you know I've been here about a year and a half and uh where I live I live with a lot of MSU students a lot of college kids cuz that's where I could afford an apartment yeah <laughs> so and and I, I remember when I before, I I think I talked about this on my show one one day a couple of the the, the guys and girls were over and um I had some medication on my uh, on my table yeah and, uh, my God, this like 20 year old kid was like, w- wait, wait, you got any Percocet? You got any? And I was like, here's a kid in total health. He's a college student. Yes. And he's going through my, you know, and I said, no, that's diabetes medicine. <laughs> Leave that
3: yeah, alone. Yeah, yeah. And
2: it's like, it's like, wow, 20 year old kids are like jumping, looking through, uh, my goodness, it's 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 so scary out there. I, I, I hate getting older, but thank God I'm
1: not a kid now. man. Well, they know the stuff. That, yeah, that is worrisome too. Yeah, they know because uh, some of these kids, they that's how they study through the night. They can party and study because of the different medications that they take. Even Ritalin, for example, is for children who don't have ADHD. It gives them a chance to study through the night and actually party. If that's what you want to do and be just ready to go the next morning. Yeah. It's on yeah. but you know but then again Ritalin, Adderall, Totera, these are all type 2 drugs just like cocaine and mm-hmm. methamphetamines they they will work very quickly and but then again you have your lows uh, when mm-hmm. you when you quit taking them. And so that is interesting that you were able to actually stop taking it when you knew that your pain was gone. When, when you took them and you had the pain, you didn't feel
2: happy or ha- you just felt no pain. But when it won, like I did when when I didn't really have any pain, I just thought it might be a little stiff on my back. It wasn't like, it, it, I feel, oh my goodness, this is something, you know, that, that could make me just relax and happy. And I realized how dangerous that was. Yeah. And uh, so I would only take, and you know, they sat on my, on, on my medicine cabinet for, for years, I mean, eventually I, uh, I I got rid of them. But, you know, if you're someone who's got an addictive personality, to have a bottle, I have this huge bottle, Jacobus, of all these pills, it was like you hit the tre- treasure trove. Yeah, yeah, You could yeah. sell them for $20 each. I mean, my God.
1: Wow. Oof. Well, mm-hmm. I, thanks for your input, Dominic. Sure. Yeah. Hey, have a good day. Thanks. Great show. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You know, it's interesting that I, I got so much information that i looked at last night that i read that i would like to go with you through i will go through statistics actual statistics that were collected by the government and that give us the information that we need so let's talk about that when i come back we will be right back we have a call on hold who has a question or a comment good morning caller thanks for joining the program what's your name how can we help you please
0: my name is Jim. Thanks, Jim. I am a recovering opioid, opioid addict wow. uh, way before pills, the uh, needle in the vein deal years ago. But I got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis when I was 42, about to be 48 now. Yes. And I've been clean and sober for years. But a lot of meditation, I, I can't take any opioid at at all. I don't take much medication, but natural I take care of my body. I do meditation every morning. I've learned to, in the moment, if there's pain, to step back and be able to have that moment that kind of convinced myself that pain's not really real. You know, I have chronic pain all the time. Yeah. Obviously, with multiple sclerosis. But, you know, seeing all I read on the computer and everything, what's going on with these pills and what, you know... Fentanyl and stuff coming into our country. And, you know, even back when I was an addict, basically, I would have to say it was probably more safe to do it than it is now in the sense that it's so mixed up and stuff now. And these kids just, I'm a single parent of a nine year old and wow. it really wor- yeah. worries me that, you know, just through their culture, I've read stories about grandparents getting their medicine cabinet raided and stuff. Right. And so. I just want to express, you know, there's a lot of meditation out there and stuff that really it helps me tremendously. Yes. And I would suggest someone. I mean, I've talked to my my neurologist here in Bozeman. I've been here since '88. Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah, me too.
0: And basically, it there's a lot a lot to it. You know, there there've been I've never had a doctor push anything on me. I'm very straightforward about where I am in my life and. I do a lot of sweat lodge activity.
4: Yeah,
1: and, yeah, yeah. Uh huh.
0: And stuff to uh, really release. You know, pain. I believe is derivative in the brain more than the body, unless you have a compound fracture or something. Obviously,
1: but, you bet. You bet. That makes sense.
0: And through meditation, I'm able to zero in on that pain, and uh, be able to allow it to release from my body. Mind over matter, essential.
1: Yes. So, Jim, have you done any other changes such as uh, different natural pills or vitamins, herbs, or uh, dietary changes, uh, get rid of certain inflammatory foods, stuff of that matter?
0: Yeah, because I have a neurological disease, any fatty acid sticks to my nerves. So I'm pretty much a vegetarian. My garden's a little late this year, but hey. I take a plethora of vitamin D3.
1: Okay, uh, niacin, yes.
0: Uh, by just probably more than your average person due to my MS. I take uh, vitamin C, vitamin B12. Uh, so when, when when
1: you say vitamin C, uh, that can be confusing because some people will take an IV. Other people will take 500 milligram as a uh, chewable. Uh, how much are you talking about? Oh, my,
0: mine's a thousand milligram pill.
1: Okay, and how many okay. you take of those a day? Two. Okay.
0: Uh, vitamin D, I take. Let's uh, see, four thousand milligrams three times a day. Okay. I see my B twelve. I take. Uh, I think it's five hundred. Yeah. Five hundred or five thousand? Uh, five thousand. Five thousand uh,
1: micrograms. Yes.
0: Yeah, three three times a day. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and uh, exercise is really. I, I've noticed when I've had to take a break, if I'm in a small relapse, I have relapsing remitting. Yes. So if I'm in a small relapse to not push it, I used to, you know, I used to go to A to Z and not really care about it in the middle. And I've had to learn to just take that period. So at that time, if I'm in a relapse instead of physical, I really try to get into the, uh, me- uh mental, you know, uh, a lot of meditation. You are. Right. A, a lot of, I've written a lot about my pain. Uh, To just, you know, it's almost within me, so therefore I have a relationship with it, so therefore I can write about it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Uh huh.
0: So, yeah, I just, I was listening to your show. I was going to town and country to get some coffee. (laughs) And um, (laughs) uh, basically, um, my dog and I just pulled in my driveway out here near Highlight, and I was listening, and I thought it was quite interesting. Uh, Oh, thank you, Jim. Basically, pills, I just, you know, I can't go there being a recovering addict, obviously, and it is a huge epidemic. I mean, when you just mask the pain, you're not really taking care of the pain, what causes the pain. Correct. You know, a lot of people just want pills because they want to feel it. Sometimes pain is good. It isolates where you need to look at where the pain's coming
1: from. Totally, totally. That is a great point, and I will definitely go into that further as the show progresses. So thank you for your input, Jim. Enjoy that coffee and have a great weekend.
0: You too. Okay,
1: Bye. bye-bye. Uh, that is really interesting that uh, he brings up pill, pills do not do not address the actual cause. Uh, it's very important to keep that in mind, folks. Um, okay, so what I thought we'll do, I would like to go through some of these facts that we have because that – will give you, hopefully, a better idea. These are statistics that have been given out by different uh, organizations. I can tell you what the organization is, but I think the references in here as well. There are 23 statistics I'm going to mention to you. Number one, the prescribing rates. The prescribing rates for controlled substances among adolescents and young adults nearly doubled from 1994 to 2007, that is 13 years. So the prescribing rates for controlled substances among adolescents and young adults nearly doubled from 1994 to 2007. That was uh, presented in a, the Pediatrics magazine in 2010. Opioid painkillers like Vicodin and OxyContin are chemically similar to heroin. So opioid painkillers like Vicodin and OxyContin are chemically similar to heroin. So it's pretty much heroin with another name. Heroin-related overdose deaths increased five times from 2010 to 2016. Can you imagine that? Heroin-related overdose death, overdose deaths. We're not talking about incidents, but it increased five times in six years, from 2010 to 2016. 80 percent. This is by the government study. 80 percent of heroin users started with a prescription painkiller. This was uh, this was published in 2013 by the drug alcohol depend also by yeah by the government 80% of heroin users started with a prescription painkiller in 2010 eight years ago enough prescription painkillers were prescribed to medicate every american adult 5 milligrams of hydrocodone every 4 hours for 1 month did you hear that if you were not using this, that mean, this is on the average, in 2010, this was when it was, again, the heroin-related overdose death increased five times from 2010 to 2016. Here it says in 2010, enough prescription painkillers were prescribed to medicate every American adult five milligrams of hydrocodone every four hours for one month. So that is 20 milligram per day. No, 25 milligram per day. What am I saying? Six, six times five. What am I? I'm not even calculating right, folks. Five milligram every four hours. 24 hours in a day times six is 30 milligram for a month. In 2011, more than 420,000 emergency department visits were related to the misuse of Or the abuse of narcotic pain relievers. More than 420,000 emergency department visits. Then according to the CDC, healthcare providers. Now this is indeed where the problem comes in. We're just talking here about the United States. According to the CDC, healthcare providers wrote 259 million prescriptions For opioid pain relievers in 2012, which is enough for every adult in America to fill one prescription, 259 million prescriptions for opioid pain relievers just in the year 2012. Now, also think what happens with the residual stuff in those pills that does not get absorbed by the brain or by the cells in our body. It is really the the brain and and, and, and the nervous system. It gets lost through urine, fecal matter, ends up in the waters, starts affecting the fish, the ocean, the wildlife. It is, nobody, in my opinion, thought that through. Maybe they did. In 2013, 2013, five years ago, the United States, which continued to be the principal consumer country of oxycodone, accounted for 78% of the world total prescriptions on oxycodone. 78%. What are we doing in this country while we feel we need so many pills? I mean, it's one thing to say we're number one, but you don't want to be number one in this one. In 2014... There were approximately one and a half times more drug overdose death in the United States than death from motor vehicle crashes. This is from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report. Unreal. In 2014, approximately one and a half times more drug overdose death in the United States than death from motor vehicle crashes. In 2015... Hold on to your hats to this one. The opioid epidemic cost the U.S. more than $500 billion. That was in 2015. So let's just stretch this. Let's say it is up in 2018. Let's say it's up every year. So then 2015, between 2010 and where we are right now, That would be approximately the average than $500 billion a year. Maybe a little bit less in 2010, definitely more in 2018. Can you imagine that is $4 trillion that it cost the U.S. in eight years time? That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. In 2016 there are quite a few facts here from 2016 so let's go through them. In 2016 10.4 million young adults used a prescription opioid. So I don't know how many young adults there are in this country but in 2016 10.4 million used a prescription opioid. That is for the center from the Center for Behavioral Health statistics and quality that was published in 2017. Every day in 2016, an estimated 1,600 young adults misused an opioid prescription for the first time. Every day in 2016. Every day in 2016, an estimated 1,600 young adults misused an opioid prescription for the first time. This is from Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, Risk and Protective Factors, and Initiation of Substance Use. That was from a, yeah, it's unreal. Now, next, every 12 minutes, every 12 minutes, that is five per hour, Someone in America dies from an opioid overdose. This is not somebody who's sick and whose eyes are rolling in their head. This is every 12 minutes someone in America dies from an opioid overdose. Every day more than 115 Americans die after overdosing on opioids. So every 12 minutes somebody dies that means about 115 Americans die every day after overdosing on opioids. That's from the CDC, National Vital Statistics System. Then add to that, more than 17,000 people died for, from prescription opioid overdoses in 2016. More than 17,000 Just in 2016. So this is, and and my next statistic shows you that I am just limiting the number here because I didn't read, I didn't emphasize correctly in the previous sentence, so I'm going to read it again. More than 17,000 people died from prescription opioid Overdoses in 2016. So these are pills that they get from a doctor prescribed. In 2016, 42,249 people died of opioid overdoses in America. So this is the overall number 42,000. I just want to ask you a quick question here. And it's kind of a rhetorical question. When I do the show, I want to focus on the topic. I want to focus on the guest. I want to focus on what they want to talk about. It's not about me talking about a store or Gesundheit Nutrition Center or about talking about health food stores. Many of you who have listened to this show for years, you know that I use this platform to help educate myself, I have learned so much, but also I want to give experts a chance to talk about what they do. And so when I mention this, I want you to think about something. How many times have you heard of a certain herb or a vitamin that people come into my store for, into a health food store, wherever they go and say, Does this have any side effects? And they will not take it if it may give them a little rash. They may not take it if it may upset their stomach. They may not take it if they're afraid they could get diarrhea or could get a headache. Or people bring stuff back because it didn't work overnight. They bring it back. I have had people bring stuff back to the store because the next day they said, it hadn't worked yet. This, if something happens with a supplement that I sell in the store, the FDA will take it off the market lickety-split. They've done it with Ephedra or Mawang. They did it for a while with L-tryptophan. So when these things happen, and I look over here and it says in 2016, 42,249 people died of opioid overdoses in America. Then you have to ask, then I want to ask you, why are we still having opioids on the market? Prescribed. It's one thing that people get it on the street because that will always happen. But these are still prescribed and 17,000 people died from prescription opioids. Just in 2016. So take that over 2015, 16, 17, 18. We're talking about approximately 70,000 people who have died from a prescription opioid. That's a lot of people and they still sell it. Where is the FDA that they will shut down certain herbs or they raid a vitamin store because... I may say something about heart attacks or cancer. I may use the word. It's unreal how uneven the playing field is. Opioid overdose death increased five times from 1999 to 2016. Opioid overdose death increased five times from 1999 to 2016. In 2016... Two out of three drug overdose deaths involved some type of opioid. In a grim milestone, more people died from heroin-related causes than from gun homicides in 2016. Now, where are these people who are demonstrating against guns that guns kill people? And now they will not look at the facts and demonstrate in front of GlaxoSmithKline or in front of Merck or in front of uh, any of these companies who produce this crap. In a grim milestone, more people died from heroin. This is just heroin. Heroin Heroin-related causes than from gun homicides in 2016. In 2016, And by the way, that was a quote from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the National Center for Health Statistics. In 2016, one in five deaths among young adults were opioid-related. In 2016, 10.4 million young adults used a prescription opioid. In the past decade... While the death rates for the top leading causes of death, such as heart disease and cancer, have decreased substantially, the death rate associated with opioid pain medication has increased. And there's a few more I need to go through. Actually, the last one, I'll tell it to you right now. Dependence on prescription opioids can happen after just five days. Now, those are statistics that you want to use in order when you talk to your doctor that you say wait a second doc i don't want to deal with this issue so please do what you can for yourself and for your loved ones we're going to take a break first hour done 2 hours to go gizonta Kobus will be right back this i wrote an article a while ago that talks about the uh, the the prescription drugs and so let me let me find it And then I will go with you through that. Now, there was an article I wrote in 2013 that was called Exposing Überdosing, which was the pill's progressive problem. And it says, in our Western world, the average person will take about 14,000 prescription drugs in a lifetime. This does not include over-the-counter medication. 14,000 prescription drugs in a lifetime. The average person. So if you're not one of those, then I would say you will definitely know um, <laughs> what is what's going on. So there was a uh, there was a documentary, at BBC, and I I highly recommend you you watch this one. It's called uh, Pill Poppers. Go on YouTube, look up Pill Poppers. It it, it, it highlights people daily dependence on prescription medication, as it states pills define who we are. And what we are. But how much do we know about the pills we take and can we trust them? BBC takes us into a GlaxoSmithKline factory where we're introduced to the research, quote-unquote, and, and discovery, quote-unquote, of medicinal drugs. Over two million chemical compounds, 2 million chemical compounds are being kept in a vault. Scientists who work in the lab know little about them. They observe how a very slick machine introduces each and every one of those compounds to a pathogen. A pathogen is a disease molecule to see if anything happens, good or bad. If something happens, more tests are done. More compounds are combined on the same pathogen. So first, they use this single single chemical, over 2 million chemicals. It's unbelievable how that works. If something happens, more tests are done, more compounds then are combined on the same pathogen, and the scientists try to understand what and why. Literally, hundreds of millions of combinations are tried before a handful are selected and then tested on animals and people. Again, reactions are observed and recorded. Combined with packaging and FDA approval, it often takes 15 years to, and $1 billion to get a drug licensed. However, if drugs are not designed but discovered, it comes as no surprise that we only find out what they do to us when we take them. This documentary shows how some drugs are marketed now for different benefits than they were originally researched for. Examples are Ritalin and Viagra. Ritalin was discovered 50 years. 5-0, 0 50 years ago, to help adults with depression. Ritalin was used for depression. By accident, it showed that it could help children with ADHD, which opened a whole new market. And at universities, now even young adults who don't have ADHD, I just told Dominic that earlier, are using Ritalin as a study drug to need less sleep. Part of this is not surprising since Ritalin is labeled a highly addictive class 2 type drug, putting it in the same group with cocaine and methamphetamine. Pfizer's erectile dysfunction drug, Viagra, was originally developed to treat the heart condition, angina. But testing the drug on humans, most males develop spontaneous erections. Today, every second of every day, somewhere around the world, six Viagra tablets are dispensed. Can you believe it? Every second of every day, somewhere around the world, six Viagra tablets are dispensed. Now, herbal history. Interestingly, about 25% of all prescription drugs use plants or herbs as a source from which specific compounds are synthesized, and they become the basis of a new medicine somehow that specific 25% generates over 75% of all the drug companies' income. So there is 25% of all prescription drugs are using natural substances as their base, but it is synthesized, and that brings them in about 75% of the income. According to Chris Kilham, Also known as the Medicine Hunter, author, educator, member of the Medical Advisory Board of the Dr. R Show, and a co-founder of Medicine Hunter Inc., an estimated 80% of the world's population employs natural plant-based remedies as primary medicine for both acute and chronic health problems. This includes treating colds, controlling blood pressure and cholesterol, improving digestion, reducing pain, and fighting infections. And we have done it for a very, very, very long time. Chris Killam's research states that in 1960, at Shanidar Cave, Iraq, a 60,000-year-old Neanderthal man was uncovered. He had been buried with eight species of plants, seven of which are still used for medicinal purposes today. So 60,000-year-old Neanderthal man discovered in 1960 in Iraq... Then in 1991, an ice mummy preserved by freezing was discovered in Austria's Otzel Alps. Tissue samples revealed that the man, known today as the Iceman, died approximately 5,200 years ago. He carried a medicine pouch containing a lump of birch fungus used as a laxative and as a natural antibiotic. China has built a rich herbal tradition over more more than 5,000 years. The historic emperors ordered that any herb that showed healing properties should safely prove its effect for 100 years. Safely prove its effect for 100 years before it would be accepted in the Chinese pharmacopoeia for its current benefits. Compare that with a pharmaceutical drug which takes no more than 15 years and has to disclose all its potential side effects on the packaging. So it is not 100% safely used. Then you have Ayurveda or science of life. We've had Elaine Dahl, local Elaine Dahl on the show, uh, talk about Ayurveda. We have hopefully have her back soon. It's a 5,000-year-old traditional system of healthcare from India. It uses herbs, spices, and other practices to create a more balanced lifestyle while strengthening the body's natural healing abilities. This is based on your specific body type. Now, uh, before we go into the complete history of opioids, I have a caller patiently waiting. Thank you, caller, for doing so. What's your name? How can we help you, please?
0: Oh, hi, Jacobus. Love your program. Oh, thank you. Uh, I I was just curious. You know, you kind of touched on what I was wondering about, but I was wondering, you know, yeah, These opioids in their natural form and their plant form, would they be less addictive,
1: do you think? Um, boy, that is really an interesting question. Because I, in my opinion, there is no addiction to herbs because they have a specific medicinal purpose. They do what they need to do, and when you're done, you simply stop taking it because the body has gone into repair mode. When it comes to certain supplements, I always look at vitamins and uh, fats, nutrition fats, amino acids or proteins, minerals as nutrients. And I feel that when there is a certain problem in the body, it could be a deficiency in these nutrients. We recap the deficiency and then all of a sudden what happens is we are… Actually, feeling better. We feel better because we put the fuel back into the tank, so to say, so that the engine is running better. We feel better. We simply may be deficient in those nutrients naturally. It may be because of a certain lifestyle, or it could be because of certain activities that we have, why we are depleting certain minerals or vitamins or amino acids or fats more quickly And so in that aspect, it would be good to start using nutrients to find healing from a deficit. If you have a certain ailment and that has nothing to do with a deficiency, but it could be from a toxicity or it could be from an injury, then I always say use herbs. Now, herbs, like I said, are used in medicine a lot, and uh, there are certain components in herbs that have been discovered to have active compounds, active compounds that have healing properties, specific healing properties, while others do not. For example, curcuminoids in the herb turmeric, we do know has anti-inflammatory effect, works on sugar balancing, uh, helps the heart. Helps to rebuild cartilage, helps to rebuild collagen, helps the brain to function better. So, those are compounds that you discover. Ginkgo biloba has ginkgo flavon glycosides, valerian has valerianic acids. Every herb, uh, carvacrol in oil of oregano, these are all active compounds that researchers, people who have microscopes, and test this, find that those active compounds make the herb what it is. Now, the herb by itself has a lot of beautiful ingredients, but not everyone is what we call active. So in my opinion, caller, there is no addictive matter because it, you simply give the body something that you are lacking. When it comes to prescription drugs, We are never lacking the prescription drugs. And one of the issues that we have now, when people go on antibiotics, go before, uh, you can either before or against antibiotics, but an antibiotic is usually given for five days or seven days or, uh, or 10 days. And the doctor will say, just go through the cure, take it till the end, and then let's see how you're doing. But when it comes to antidepressants or cholesterol medication or thyroid medication or heart medication, blood thinners, all that stuff, we often see that there is no predicted end date. We simply use the medication until we say, after a year, after 10 years, do I still need this medication? And then maybe the doctor said, eh, no, nah, I think you're okay. Or, eh, it's no big deal. It's a low dose. You don't need it. Well, if it is a low dose, well, just get, get rid of it. You know, let's see if there is something that you could do to replace that with. Are, again, so many medications are made from a natural source. Great call. Let's talk about some of these, uh, or the history, that we have a better understanding about the opiates, Uh the opportune opiates. It may not come as a surprise that the first plant turned into a drug was probably opium. Opium is the substance derived by collecting and drying the milky juice in the unripe seed pot of the opium poppy. So opium is the substance derived by collecting and drying the milky juice in the unripe seed pot of the opium poppy. Prehistoric inhabitants of Switzerland used this plant as early as 4000 BC. Egyptians used it at about 1590 BC and ancient Greek physicians around 400 BC. It was the Persian traders, which is now Iran, Persian traders introduced the Chinese to opium in the 8th century. From the 1600s through the 1800s, so we go 2,000 years further, 400 BC to 1600, from the 1600s through the 1800s, opium was one of the principal drugs in Western medicine. It was promoted as a pain reliever or an analgesic, a sleep inducer, and to treat strangulated bowel obstruction. Users describe experiencing a feeling of calm and well-being. Here are the major steps in its evolution. Paracelsus. Good old Paracelsus, a 16th century Swiss-German alchemist, discovered that the alkaloids in opium were far more soluble in alcohol than in water and that the pain-relieving properties were better. It was also used for sleep. He called his preparation Laudanum, L-A-U-D-A-N-U-M, Latinum for praise, praise the Lord. English physician Thomas Seidenham, who lived from 1624 to 1689, he concocted his own laudanum recipe, which became the first patented medicine. This led to the discovery of morphine, codeine, and heroin. Morphine, the main active ingredient in opium, was discovered in 1804 by German chemist Friedrich Serturner, who lived from 1781 to 1841, 60 years. This is generally believed to be the first ever isolation of a natural plant alkaloid in history. Its properties are used to relieve severe pain. And it became more sought after than opium. So that became morphine, the main active ingredient in opium. So it was isolated in 1804 by German chemist Friedrich Surtuner. Surtuner. It was first distributed by Serturner in 1817 and first commercially sold in 1827 by a single small chemist shop called Merck. I'll be darned, in 1827. They've been around a while then, 200 years almost. Codeine, the second most abundant alkaloid derived from opium or directly from morphine. So morphine became codeine. It was discovered a few years later by the French chemist Pierre-Jean Robiquet, 1780 to 1840. Again, 60 years. These people don't get older than 60 it is widely used throughout medical treatment for mild to moderate pain as well as for coughs and sometimes to suppress premature labor. The hypodermic syringe was invented in 1853 after which Alexander Wood now another name another report says Charles Wood of uh, Scotland 1817-1884 developed a method of injecting morphine to relieve neuralgia which is nerve pain. The doctors even taught their patients how to inject themselves. This greatly increased the amount of the drug that users were taking as compared with laudanum. Slowly but surely, dependency turned to addiction. Ironically, the search for a morphine substitute that would kill pain but be non-addictive resulted in the discovery of heroin. So, slowly but surely, dependency turned to addiction. The search for a morphine substitute that would kill pain but be non-addictive resulted in the discovery of heroin. Can you believe it, how this path goes? When we come back, we'll talk more about heroin. We'll be right back. We talked about statistics. We've had a few telephone calls who elaborated on it. I had a call during the break where we talk about uh, mental toughness. Uh, that we just, it, it, we have to be mentally more tough to be able to say no. And also that emotionally, we don't seem to be as strong anymore and are easily addicted, become addicted. Uh, it is a, so there is more like an emotional pain. Let's call it that way. And that is, you know, emotions, you are not immune. From emotional pain, it doesn't matter what rank you are in life, how rich you are, poor you are, um, what your situation is, your success or not, or your passion, everybody could become a victim. And that is why we see so many deaths in this country alone uh, because of the prescription opioid deaths and the regular overall Opioid deaths in this country on an annual basis over forty-two thousand annually. Annually, that's a lot. So I want to talk about heroin, uh, and I do that before I take my caller. So we just talked about um, the opium. Opium by with in the sixteenth century, Paracelsus discovered that the alkaloids in opium were far more soluble in were far more soluble in alcohol than in water and that the pain-relieving properties were better, then he he came up with this product called Laudanum, Laudanum which is Latinum, Latin for praise, uh, L-A-U-D-A-N-U-M. And then uh, later, uh, Thomas Seidenham took that into a... Uh, he, it became the first patented medicine, and that led to the discovery of morphine, codeine, and heroin. So the morphine was the main active ingredient in opium discovered in 1804 by German chemist Friedrich Serturner. Its properties are used to relieve severe pain, and it became more sought after than opium. It was first distributed by Serturner in 1817 and sold in a chemist shop by owned by Merck. Then came codeine, the second most abundant alkaloid derived from opium or directly from... Um, more for directly from the codeine, it's from the morphine itself, and um, it's widely used throughout medical treatment for mild to moderate pain, as well as for coughs and sometimes to suppress premature labour. Then the syringe was invented in 1853, so people could inject themselves, which accelerated, which accelerated, the addiction, and then from that they were trying slowly but surely dependency turned to addiction, and the search for a morphine substitute that would kill the pain but would become non-addictive resulted in the discovery of heroin. Heroin was discovered in 1874 by English chemistry and physics researcher C.R. Alder Wright, 1844, 1894, he only turned 50, when he added two acetyl groups to the morphine molecule. In 1898, distributed by the Bayer Company in Germany, its addictive properties were overlooked. It was promoted as a remedy for morphine addiction. Medically known as uh, diacetylmorphine or diamorphine, it is still used for acute pain, such as in severe physical trauma, myocardial infarction, post-surgical pain, and chronic pain, including end-stage Cancer and palliative care in the UK, in, in the United Kingdom, as far as patenting these medicines were concerned, patent laws protected the secret ing- ingredients. Meanwhile, because there was no FDA in those days, the act of prescribing quote unquote drugs was essentially up to the consumer. What a novel idea! Anyone could order a morphine injection kit complete with syringe and supply of medicine from a Sears catalog. I actually have a picture over here from it. Throughout the 1800s, the opium trade became an enormous industry and worldwide dependency grew. It has been reported that during the American Civil War, 10 million, 10 million opium pills were handed out to the army surgeons and morphine became the painkiller of choice. Laudanum was prescribed by doctors all over and may very well have been the start of addiction to medical drugs in this country. Interestingly, the usual laudanum addict was a Caucasian woman. Because women were not allowed to drink in public, a quick visit to the doctor to help with problems related to pregnancy, childbirth, menstrual cramps, and emotional problems did wonders. Isn't that interesting? So that was in an article I wrote back in 2013. It's called Exposing Überdosing, and that uh, that kind of uh, tells you what's going on. Now, I want to tell you about this drug that we that is called uh, fentanyl. Now, you may have heard of fentanyl, and I just want to jump on that. Why is fentanyl so much more deadly than heroin? So for those of you who have heard about the opioid fentanyl, This was uh, uh, published in April 9, 2016 in Forbes magazine by Alice Walton. When prescription opioids started getting too difficult or too expensive to to procure, people addicted to them started turning to heroin, a shift that created an epidemic of heroin use in whole new groups of people. Now, a new opioid is rising in use and overdose called fentanyl. F-E-N-T-A-N-Y-L, fentanyl, a synthetic opioid. It is 50 to 100 times more potent than morphine. This is according to a recent statement on fentanyl by the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration. And it is 25 to 50 times more potent than heroin. And its presence seems to be rising sharply which means that given its potency, death from the drug also rising because people just don't know how they can how they can actually get uh, they think uh, you know like we often have if one pill is good, two pills is better so people it's easy for them to simply start taking something that could become addictive in 2014, 18,000 people died of opioids and another 8,000 from heroin. So 26,000 people died from either opioids or heroin. It's not clear how many people are dying from fentanyl overdoses each day now, but the numbers are climbing sharply in pockets around the U.S. and Canada. Fentanyl is often, without the buyer's knowledge, mixed with heroin or cocaine because it's cheaper than either one of them and it is much stronger. Here is what we know why fentanyl is so powerful in the body and as a new presence in society. There is no difference in the way in which fentanyl works on the brain from any of the other opioids. It crosses the blood-brain barrier, just like they all do, and it binds with the brain's uh, Q-opioid receptors. From here, it creates analgesia, And euphoria, like Dominic mentioned the first hour when he called in, it made him happy. So yes, opioids are pain-reducing, analgesic, and euphoric, euphoria. What makes it more or less euphoric than other opioids is how quickly it binds, says Lewis Nelson, who is a medical doctor. He's the medical toxicologist and emergency physician at New York University School of Medicine. If I give you morphine intravenously, it circulates in the blood. Then it crosses the blood-brain barrier, and it binds the opioid receptors. But it takes a little while. Heroin crosses much more rapidly, so it is really euphoric. And fentanyl is very rapid and therefore very euphoric. And fentanyl's potency is much greater than the other opioids. That is, it takes much, much less of the drug to have the same effect. So it's also lethal at a much lower dose than even heroin. Micrograms of fentanyl are effective rather than milligrams of the other opioids. The difference in fentanyl potency is critical. It takes very little to have the same effect as other opioids. The reason so many people are dying is because the dose is relatively uncontrolled with street fentanyl. And small excesses can lead to overdose. There is nothing inherently more dangerous about fentanyl than other opioids except the way it is dosed and sold. This should not suggest that the other opioids are not dangerous. They all are. The physical effects. Aside from producing an intense high quickly, fentanyl also produces a number of other effects. Nausea. Vomiting. Vomiting analgesia, sedation, and respiratory depression among them, according to drugabuse.gov. And like other opioids, it causes death via the respiratory arrest. That means one's breathing slows to a stop. It does that rather than a cardiac arrest. Dr. Nelson says, the only thing killing you is respiratory depression. If I took a few times the therapeutic dose of an opioid, my breathing would slow, and I might die in several hours. It is a slow spiral toward death. If you took ten times the dose, you likely die, and if you took one hundred times the dose, you die immediately. Fentanyl, and again, now let me let me tell you. So, micrograms of fentanyl can be stronger than milligrams of heroin or morphine. So think about that. Micrograms, one microgram, excuse me, one milligram is 1,000 microgram, 1,000 microgram. So if it says, if you took 10 times the dose, you likely die. If you took 100 times the dose, you die immediately. Let's say you take 2 microgram and now you take 200 microgram. That is still one-fifth of a milligram, but you could die immediately. Fentanyl is just a more rapid version of the same kind of death from respiratory depression. So you slowly die. Where it comes from and where is it going? Fentanyl was once largely largely extracted from pharmaceuticals. The fentanyl patch, for instance, used to have a reservoir of the drug that was plainly visible. So one could simply suck the liquid out with a syringe. But now the patches have the drug embedded in a mesh, so are more difficult to extract. So fentanyl for street sale often seems to be made in China and imported to the U.S. through Mexico. And because it is synthesized rather than plant-derived, it's worth the effort. From the dealer's perspective, heroin is still hard to make, says Dr. Nelson. You have to grow it, extract it, convert it, Transported into the country. Fentanyl is so much easier. And because it is 50 times more potent than heroin, the volumes are much easier to transport. So you can put it in a car instead of a truck, or you can put it in a plane instead of a boat. And use of the drug, and of course, overdoses are rising in pockets around the country. Northern California just reported a spike in fentanyl related deaths. And 48 overdoses and 12 deaths since late March 2016 alone. So again, this article was written in June of 2016. So in three months, just in Northern California, 48 overdoses and 12 deaths since late March. In Philadelphia, that was actually two months later because I think the article was written in June 9. In Philadelphia... There was a 300% rise in fentanyl death from 2013 to 2014. Young people are trying the drug, just like with heroin, but so are middle-aged people, either wittingly or unwittingly. The problem is that not everyone is going out to buy it intentionally. Many are in the market for something else, but getting the drug cut with fentanyl, or worse, only fentanyl. In Sacramento, it's not fentanyl being sold as heroin even, but it is being pressed into a pill and sold as Norco, N-O-R-C-O, which is a combination of hydrocodone and astaminophen uh, that is uh, Tylenol. So a combination of hydrocodone and Tylenol. If counterfeit pills are out there, it is a real problem given the large number of people who ingest rather than inject opioids. Again, in some of these cases, there is only fentanyl present and none of the drug that's being marketed. Long-term use of fentanyl is probably somewhat rarer than heroin or other opioids, just by virtue of the fact that it is so potent that the margin of error is quite small. A milligram of a drug is the size of a pinhead. A milligram of a drug is the size of a pinhead. A microgram is thousand times less than that, says Nelson. Dr. Nelson, Fentanyl is always mixed into something else. So you're putting a lot of trust in your dealer. If you make a batch with just a little more, then you see overdose increases in spots in city. So there are a lot of ways in which the use of fentanyl can go wrong. Fentanyl will likely grow much more widespread before it peters out. And the fix probably lies not on the street or the drug labs, but in exam rooms in doctor's offices. Changing or prescribing practices would prevent many more addictions than any other avenue, says Dr. Nelson. We are turning out opioid addicts pretty quickly in this country. The novo use is always going to be around. Kids who are curious and they try something. And the DEA cannot really do anything about that. It it is a sisyphian task. But stopping the other addicts that form those who get addicted through prescribing practices, happens by improving the way that we as doctors practice medicine. It would take a lot of people working together to shift how we use opioids in this country. It is possible, but it won't happen overnight. Constituencies on both sides are lining up, but it is hard because there are so many players, says Dr. Nelson. Doctors are involved, patient advocacy groups are involved, the pharmaceutical companies are involved, the government is involved. The problem is incredibly complicated. So this is the issue with fentanyl. It is a big, big issue. I hope you understood what I was saying. I don't know if my caller is still patiently waiting. Good morning, caller. Thanks for doing so. What's your name? How can we help you, please? Good
3: morning. Pete,
1: Pete, thanks for your patience. You
3: know, as as bad as... uh... this opioid thing is, it's it's just a symptom of a broken system.
1: It's true. And
3: it it goes across the board. Yeah. I pay attention to ads. Not all of them, but especially ads for pharmaceuticals. Uh, If you get an FDA approval for a drug, it's a one-time deal. Yes. And I'm, I'm looking, I used to see a new drug come up on the TV set here in an ad about every week maybe two weeks. Yes. You see a new one. I'm seeing a new one every day or every other day right now. These are drugs. This, The thinking is, well, they may help this too. So they repackage, rename, resell. It's already been approved. Yes. So they're saving all of this money yes. for, for the testing. And the FDA and the CD, CDC, if, if we're putting... Our health in their hands. We got a problem.
1: Yes, because they
3: do not test properly. They are dishonest about what they say about the drugs. It just, it's just—it's sickening to watch what is going on, and how do they get these sweetheart deals? Money.
1: Yes. Yes. Money.
3: We—we've got a government that's
1: for sale. Yeah. <laughs> you and hear it. You hear it every day.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then and, and it's I'm, I'm telling you, they're either going to this is gonna get worse. It's not gonna get better until they look at the system and say, Hey, this ain't right. These guys are doing underhanded stuff here to not just us, it ain't just this country, but humanity. This is this is the problem all over the world, not just here. I don't know I don't know what it's all gonna lead up to, but yeah. I can't see that it's gonna be anything good.
1: It is so amazing how quickly this has gotten out of control in such a small, short period of time. And also how I, we just don't get the the care. If, if you look at how much time is spent on Donald Trump in the White House and whatever he is doing and how little time is spent on... On the 42,000 deaths that we have every year from simply opioids and that not enough people are speaking up, this, to me, should be front-page news every day. And it should we should keep talking about it until we stop it because that's where, in my opinion, the real problem is. It is not about who is the president because that person can be voted in or out every four years. But the problem is... The people who are dying for no specific reason, but simply after five days they have become addicts to a medication that was never meant to be uh, used over uh, for for this kind of pain that should be literally used, supervised in a certain session, but not just handed out like candy. And that's really what is happening. And not just that, people, parents are not taking care of the medication. Children start to become addicts themselves. Uh, they they go to the cabinet, the medicine cabinet. They they start street handling it, and uh, we have a, really a crisis on our hands. If you look at how many young people are dying, it, it is a problem that 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 they just don't want to talk about.
3: Right. Well, you you know, you're familiar with the term pill mills. Pill mills. Pill mills. In other words, you a doctor that will prescribe anything. <laughs> you know. Yeah. You can see this, you you can tell where they are, because you look at the orders going to the pharmaceutical company, coming back to this gentleman or or this group of people, or whatever, and it's legally not right, it's unlawful, and the DA went after these guys, it was going after them, and the Congress said, hey, back off, you're costing these companies money.
1: Yes. Yeah,
3: in life a big part of the problem right there.
1: Yeah, it is. It is a system, broken system, and uh, there's many reasons for it. But again, one thing that I always say in the show is you could, if you want to make a change in your own life, you can start right now. And I hope that this information will go to people who will say, you know what, I'm going to have to figure out a way how I can get off this stuff. And uh, and I know it can be done. Like Jim called in the first hour, he did it. You know, let's see what how other people can be helped. I gotta go, Pete. Yep, thank you. Thank you, buddy. Oh, you as well. Bye, bye, folks. We're gonna take another break here for the hour. Second hour is done. Stay put. We will be right back. These are twelve questions. If you go to a doctor, and you the doctor. Whether you've had surgery or preparing to have surgery, you may be concerned that your doctor will prescribe you opioids to successfully manage your pain while minimizing addiction risks. It is imperative to discuss all of your options with your physician and just ask as many questions as possible before taking an opioid medication. So why are you prescribing me an opioid? Is this the right medication for me? How long should I take this medication? How will this medication make me feel? Are there any side effects from this medication? And if so, how can I reduce or prevent them? Is there a possibility that I will get addicted to this medication? I have a history of substance use disorder, So, should I still take an opioid? Addiction runs in my family. Should I take this medication? Should I start with a shorter prescription or perhaps fewer pills? Are there any non-opioids that I can take as an alternative? I am currently taking auto-prescription drugs. Is it safe to take opioids with other medication? After I have finished this medication, how can I get rid of it? These are 12 questions that uh, you can find on a website called shatterproof.org. Shatterproof.org. S-H-A-T-T-E-R-P-R-O-O-F. Shatterproof.org. Shatterproof.org. So um, what's actually interesting that um, that I found on a the CNN website the CNN website that talks about opioid crisis fast facts it was published on June 16 2018 it says prescription and illegal opioids are commonly abused because they're so addictive. opioid medications bind to the areas of the brain that control pain and emotions, so the opioid receptor sites, uh, driving up levels of driving up the levels of good hormones, dopamine in the brain, reward areas and producing an intense feeling of euphoria. As the brain becomes used to the feelings, it often takes more and more of the drug. To produce the same levels of pain, belief, and well-being, this will lead to dependence and later addiction. The opioids. It says over here that uh, during 2016 there were more than sixty-three thousand six hundred, more than sixty-three thousand six hundred overdose deaths in the United States, including forty-two thousand two hundred forty-nine that involved an opioid. That's an average of 115 opioid overdoses death each day. So 63,600 overdose deaths in the United States. Now, we have mentioned before that this is not my my study. This is simply brought out by the CDC. They're willing to say so, that a quarter million people, 250,000 people every year in this country alone, die because of side effects of Western medicine's approach to health and disease. A quarter million people. So if we take that and we say that in 2016 alone, 63,600 were overdose deaths in the United States, of which 66% was opioid overdose, we're having a problem. And I just don't, you know, well, of course I understand. I'm just saying this facetiously. I just don't understand why we don't stop this wave of issues that are affecting the health of not only people who have worked their entire life to have a retirement, who are now addicted to opioids and who are running through the entire savings in order to numb the pain. We are affecting people in professional jobs who are trying to make a living for themselves and who try to put money away for a later day, who are trying to put money away so they can have some fun, who can want to put money away to put their children through college, who put money away in health savings account to help themselves, but who become addicted to these prescription drugs because there was no supervision, there was no reaction from the doctors in order to say, wait a second, this is something, I have seen too many issues with this, I am not going to prescribe this anymore. This is affecting women who have gone through, who have horrible cramping, who have hormonal imbalances, who have menopausal symptoms, who go through pain from depression, emotional pain, the emotional pain that, that comes outward through the physical body, fibromyalgia, is probably related to chronic anger, something has happened to you when you were younger. And what happened is that this trauma, you have had to put on the back burner. You had to keep working. You had to keep living. You had to keep acting a certain way. But the pain is there. And every time you are reminded of that pain, your muscles tense up just a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit. And over time, these muscles become so painful that this is a very good chance that this is directly resulting in what we call today fibromyalgia. So people with fibromyalgia pain may say, I need an opioid. When you go back to Jim in the first hour, he said, for him, meditation worked. You go within. You find out where the pain is. You try to work on yourself. You need to take time for yourself. You cannot go to a physician and who that physician who doesn't know the steps you have taken in this life, the 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 good times and the bad times and the emotional upsets and the way you were raised and the 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 the, the circumstances at your job, uh, the bullying from people around you, uh, not feeling respected by your partner or your spouse, uh, having a hard time with your children, whatever it is, the physician doesn't know anything about you that is pertinent to why you really have this pain. And so they just say pain, opioid, pain, opioid. That is not fair to anybody that you are not treated with the utmost respect. It's one thing a doctor says, listen, I'm going to give you some opioid for a week. You'll be back here. I'm going to clear my agenda, and you're going to be back here next week, Monday, and you and I will talk. I want to know how you're feeling, and let's go dig a little deeper why you are not feeling well, because I'm a physician. I have studied this stuff. I know the human body, but I also know that these medications that I give you will affect your brain functioning. They will go to your pain receptors in your brain. It will numb the pain that you feel. And at the same time, it may give you a feeling of happiness. But that is only to get you out of the rut right now. We got to get you out of the rut all the time. Hey, life isn't easy. There is always issues that come up. So in my opinion, just make sure that you take care of yourself. Opioids are affecting young adults, athletes, athletes that are professional athletes, athletes that do recreational sports who say, I do not want to give up my spot on the team. I cannot miss this weekend's tournament. I cannot miss tonight's practice. I have to be there. So they take something to numb the pain. Young people, hey, it felt pretty good should do it again next time. This affects young people who are in school, who are confused, who are frustrated, who are sitting with aches and pains in their life because of relationship issues, because they're getting behind in school, because their parents beat them up, because they have had to move a lot, because they did get bullied by by friends, Because they think, hey, I heard about it. Let's give it a try. They try it. And before you know it, children are not always able, young people, young teenagers are not always able to completely distinguish between right and wrong. So when that is the case, you literally need to keep this out of the hands of children because they are not ready for this kind of stuff. The effect that it has on a young person's brain that is still growing can be like a freight truck hitting you. We have to protect our children. We have to protect pregnant mothers so that they will not carry this on, this toxin, this effect into the fetus. It is a problem that we have to be honest about, if we don't, the number 63,600 overdose deaths in the United States just in 2016 will double within the next five to six years. The amount of opioid overdoses, 42,249 just in 2016, 115 opioid overdose deaths each day will double can we handle this can we handle this in the economy can we handle this for missed days at work can we handle this kind of effect that it has on families who lose members who are going to be financially ruined because of that we have to stop this for so many reasons good morning caller thanks for joining the show today what's your name how can we help you please
4: it's Joe. Hey, Joe. You know, it seems like the, the pain, you're showing the pain for people that don't even understand what you're talking about. Mm. And the reason they don't understand, every nationality has a saying, but I pick out the best sayings of every nationality. The Scotch have a saying, you need the illness before the doctor. Yeah. Instead of preventive medicine, you see, they wait till they get sick, and then they go to the doctor. Okay? Yes. So, let's start with this, where this all started. This is not just the doctors. This is not the doctors or the pharmaceutical companies. They're their culprits. Oh. That you got to always feel good. Okay. And the kids are brainwashed. And if there's a pain, there's an answer. In Hollywood, you see what Bellucci and all those guys, They they, this drug thing, It's an epidemic. Yes. It's just like right now. Why do they want everybody to turn in their guns? Why? Because the zombies are being built right now. Some are dying. Some live with it. And, you know, like I say, what is it that you're going to do? What are parents going to do? They have to go to work. But the rest of society is working on the brain of your child. So it's a it's a mess, and I and I share that with you. When mm. I feel your pain, when you try to describe, because I know what you've done for your family. You eat together, you work together. That's the way America was built. Yeah. Not today. One kid comes in, eats supper when he wants to. There's no food. They open up a can, mm. they think that's food. Uh, so anyway, yeah. I've taken enough of your time, but. I I have to call you because I feel the pain in your voice. Yeah, thanks. And I know you because you're a happy person. Yeah. Just explain it, but there's nothing except what you're doing right now to try to alert people Mm that are a mess that we have in this country. Yeah. Okay? Thank you, Joe. All right, my friend.
1: All the best. Bye-bye. It is indeed how you, you sometimes look around And if this many people are addicted to drugs, to marijuana, no, not marijuana per se, because as a matter of fact, there's an article I have that uh, says that in states where medical marijuana is legal, the opioid addiction is way down. Way down. Medical marijuana. Marijuana is such a relaxer for the brain they just have uh, uh, it. it uh, that was actually done in the University of Georgia, Athens. Uh, the finding was particularly strong in states that permit dispensaries, and for the reduction in hydrocodone and morphine prescriptions. So it is a uh, medical marijuana, legal marijuana states have lower opioid use. Um, these are things that we have to keep in mind because. What we're the ones making choices. Nobody can put this in our body unless, of course, you go out to a bar and somebody slips it in a drink. But in general, the majority of people who are prescribed, who are described in this in these articles, uh, who die of an overdose, are people who, at one point in their life, had no issues, had no issue, and somehow they got a prescribed, prescribed drug. 63,000 people from prescription drugs die. That's a lot of people. Why is there nobody pulling the brake on these type of drugs? Because they themselves, the ones who have to make the decisions, Often themselves have become addict of their own medicine. There are plenty of doctors who use opioids. They prescribe it to themselves. There are people in government who are using opioids in order to deal with the workload that they have, <clears throat> excuse me, that they have put upon themselves. There are people who feel that they are so important in life, in the world. They think that nobody can do what they do. So they say, I got to do it all myself, either for money or for fame or for power. And they will just do the work and work through the night and be proud of it and take these type of prescription drugs in order to keep that up for days and days and days until they crash. They forget to eat. When they eat, it's high carbohydrates. It's low fat, low protein. They just need energy, five-hour energy drinks. It should be illegal, this kind of stuff. When people start self-medicating, with things that are synthetics, you ask for trouble. And if the people who are making the law themselves are addicts, then you can already (laughs) predict that nothing is going to change. Nothing will change. If you have a government who promotes healthcare to the people but who themselves have their own healthcare system why would they say that the system they put, they tell citizens to take is wrong they don't know because they're not using it they should be using it and then give a fair assessment so anyway folks we're going to take another break we'll be right back stay tuned We have a caller on hold who would like to weigh in. Good morning, caller. Thanks for joining the program today. What's your name? How can we help you, please? This is Hunter Thompson's ghost. Oh, really? Tell me about Hunter Thompson's ghost.
5: Yeah, he's the uh, author of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas.
1: What's it called? Fear? Fear of what?
5: Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. He oh. was the developer okay. of Gonzo Journalism. quite mm. famous. And he's looked up to many of the druggies as an indestructible user because he openly wrote about his drug use in his writings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of his famous quotes was, I hate to promote violence, drugs, alcohol, and insanity, but they always work for me. (laughs) But uh, now time will tell because he finally shot himself in the mouth with a gun in 2005. Uh, he said he was sucking down fentanyl uh, like candy. The stuff you're supposed to put on your skin, he was sucking into his mouth. So,
1: wow. is there
5: any people still holding out that drug use can't be viable? Even Hunter Thompson fell apart early in his life.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, that's it. That's it? Well, yeah. sex and drugs and rock and roll, uh, Daniel, is all my brain and body needs. All right. So, here we have a few more facts from the website from CNN. The The number of opioid prescriptions dispensed by doctors steadily increased from 112 million prescriptions in 1992 to a peak of 282 million in 2012, and it dropped slightly in 2016 to 236 million. This is every year. I mean, you you, you, you think about this. <laughs> every year, 236 million prescriptions for opioids. Unreal. I mean, we have 330 million people in this country alone. So you have... This is just this country. We're not talking about Mexico. We're not talking about Canada, Western Europe, Asia, Japan. Can you imagine... What we're talking about, how many people are walking around who are not 100% clear in the mind. It's a lot of people. Opioids bind to receptors in the brain and in the spinal cord, thereby disrupting pain signals. They also activate the reward area of the brain by releasing the hormone dopamine, which creates a feeling of euphoria or a high. we talked about Dr. Robert Lustig about the hacking of the American mind. His book, The Hacking of the American Mind, which talks about the constant need to push for dopamine, 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 dopamine because it is so addictive. He said, whatever happened to looking for happiness, which Aristotle would describe as Contentment. Contentment is something that is deep within ourselves. You don't find it in material goods or in food or in drugs or in uh, TV or whatever. I'm not saying you cannot do any of those. Well, not the drugs, I would say, but. There is something about contentment. Some people always feel they have to travel. I gotta see the world. If that's what you want, that's fine. But don't criticize somebody who's just happy to sit in his own backyard and enjoy the newspaper or um, you know, just listen to the birds, or go on a walk, or just do the same routine every day. If that works for that person, it's okay. Who is the happier person? I couldn't tell. Some people just love doing what they're doing whatever that is as 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 common as it seems but they're grateful. They have reasons to be grateful and so they do what they do. Opioids such as morphine and codeine are naturally derived from opium poppy plants more commonly grown in Asia Central America and South Am- South America. Heroin is an illegal drug synthesized from morphine. Hydrocodone and oxycodone are semi-synthetic opioids manufactured in laboratories with natural and synthetic ingredients. <laughs> the natural is the opium, right? Uh, so between 2007 and 2016, so in 19, nine years long, 2007, 2016, the most widely prescribed opioids, opioid was hydrocodone, also called uh, Vicodin. In 2016, 6.2... Sit down in your seat for this one. 6.2 billion, billion with a B, hydrocodone pills were distributed nationwide. Nationwide. It is the second most prevalent opioid was actually Pertocet, oxycodone. In 2016... Five billion oxycodone tablets were distributed in the United States. Oh, it's only five billion. No, the two of them combined are eleven point two billion in this country alone. To in, in three hundred thirty million people, that includes babies and people who are ready to die. They're still alive. It's unreal. The International Narcotics Control Board reported that in two thousand fifteen, Americans represent up to 99.7% of the world's hydrocodon consumption. Well, that's something to be proud of. Did you hear that? 99.7% of the world's hydrocodon consumption. And you thought Donald Trump was a problem. This is really, I mean, we got a problem in this country. And it's not the president. Like I said, you can get rid of your president every four years you don't like it? Vote them out next time. Suffer for four years. But this, 11.2 billion pills being prescribed in this country alone, making America at 99.7% total hydroco- hydrocodone user. Boy, Opioid use disorder is the clinical term for opioid addiction or abuse. People who become dependent on opioids may experience withdrawal symptoms when they stop taking the pills. Dependence is often coupled with tolerance, meaning that opioid users need to take increasingly larger doses of the medication for the same effect. About 11.5 million Americans age 12 and older, 11.5 million Americans age 12 and older, misused prescription pain medication in 2016. So this is not just people who take it. This is the one who we know have misused it according to the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Service Administration. Meanwhile, we have counselors, we have psychologists, psychiatrists. Folks, we are our own doctors if we want to be. We should be our own doctors. Let me say it this way. I got to be careful how I say things. Um, It's funny. My wife will tell me after the show, you said this. And I said, well, I meant to say this. (laughs) So it is said, maybe I was thinking in my mind and I only said this many words. So I got to be careful what I say. We are not our own doctors. We are, we should be our own doctors. We should understand more why this vehicle and this amazing mind which works 24-7, have so much power and potential, and then look at it how much we use it or abuse it or literally do everything we can to kill it. <laughs> it's unreal how many people are responsible for their own death. It's not just the ones who commit suicide or die by suicide, People who, over time, accelerate in inflammation because of choices they make in life that they never recuperate from because they never put the right stuff inside the body to help it. People who become dependent on pain pills may switch to heroin because it is less expensive than prescription drugs. Well, I think you have had enough... Um, Let's see, regulation and funding. In 2013, the cost of medical care and substance abuse treatment for opioid addiction and overdose was an estimated, the cost of medical care and substance abuse treatment for opioid addiction and overdose in 2013 was $78.5 billion. $78.5 billion, according to a report in the journal Medical Care. The 21st Century Cures Act... 21st Century Cures Act, which was passed in 2016, allocated $1 billion over two years in opioid crisis grants to states, providing funding for expanded treatment and prevention programs. Now, something just pops in my mind. How many people are paying for health insurance? And how many of you are complaining that the price of health insurance, the premiums go up? These pills go up in price whenever the manufacturer decides to raise the price. And if these are prescription drugs, then you have probably a copay up to a certain amount and the rest is being paid for by the health insurance companies. Well, if you have 78.5, the cost of medical care was $78.5 billion just in 2013. Can you imagine what it was in 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18, or maybe in 2009? You add all that up, how in the world are they going to recuperate that? If we ourselves are at 99.7% of the consumer of hydrocodone tablets and opioids in the in the world. In the world. Other countries are laughing at us. They don't understand why our healthcare cost is so high. And meanwhile, we're talking here about let's do the European socialist system. Let's just everybody pay in and everybody free healthcare. How are you going to pay for that? You cannot just say, Let's just, you know, this is like me saying, you know, I would love to drive a Lamborghini. I would love it. Hopefully, I can get a four-wheel drive, but I love to drive a Lamborghini. But you know what? If you guys want to see me in that Lamborghini, why doesn't the whole street that I live in pay for it? Help me pay because I want it. If we don't put make people responsible for paying for these opioids... And if we don't put the pressure back on the doctor to say, listen, we're going to charge you every time you 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 prescribe one of these pills, um, that's how we're going to do it. All of a sudden, what will happen is that if people have to start paying more money, they're going to think twice where they're going to spend the money. If people come into my store and they buy the product curcumin or curamin that has curcuminoids in it that are very effective, curcumin. Boswellia, DLPA, netokinase, things that help to fight inflammation. And they would have to buy, if they buy 120 tablets for, let's say, 80 bucks, they say this is very expensive. Well, the drug they use is like $3,000 a month, but they only have a $20 copay. So for them, it's only $20 a month. So why would I spend $80 on an herb that doesn't have the side effect and may actually do something to rebuild my tissue. No, I'd rather pay $20 a month and get a highly addictive drug and see where it takes me. I mean, what is the thinking? I know the American educational system is not up to par. We have dumbified the American people. But let's face it. How can you base, be so stupid that add these numbers up, figure out who's paying for this? If you're not paying for it, who is paying for it? It doesn't seem to me that the insurance companies or the pharmaceutical companies are really filing bankruptcy currently. Looks to me, the, they're giving themselves more pads on the on the shoulder and on the back, and 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 they cut cut some bonus checks. How come we let this slide over our own backs? How come that we let this go on and we're not serious about attacking this? We should be outraged about this stuff. Dr. Jacob Teitelbaum wrote in the magazine Good Health, which we give away for free at the Gesundheit Nutrition Center, the opioid epidemic. Um, to understand what makes opioids so addictive is to understand how they work in the brain. Opioids act on three major opioid receptors. Three major opioid receptors, Mu, M-U, Kappa, and Delta, in both the spinal cord and the brain to reduce the perception of pain. Of these three, the Mu Opioid receptor MU from Mary uh, Utrecht, uh, MU. Opioid receptor is responsible for most of the drug's effect. The MU. Opioids also impact parts of the brain that control emotion, which can further diminish the effects of the painful stimuli. But because opioids work on more than one pathway, they also trigger the release of dopamine. In the midbrain, that activates the brain pleasure and reward system. Other areas of the brain create a lasting memory of these pleasurable feelings, setting the the user up for opioid cravings. These drugs also raise cortisol levels, which is the hormone that plays a primary role in the stress response. Stress can increase the initial desire to take opioids and intensify the urge to keep taking them. But over time, the more you want the more you need. And these escalating doses create changes in the brain so that it functions more or less normally when someone is high and abnormally when the opioid is not present. When a person becomes a functional opioid addict, they need to take higher doses to get the same effect. They also become more susceptible to withdrawal symptoms if they try to quit, and that is what makes opioid addiction so problematic. While there are some people who genuinely need opioids to treat their chronic pain, those people are the exception. For the majority of people suffering from acute or chronic pain, opioids are not the only answer. Natural approaches can effectively tap into the body's own healing system to help manage pain safely and very effectively without the fear of addiction. A critical thing to remember is that pain is not an outside invader. Rather, it is part of the body's monitoring system telling us that something needs attention. Think of it like the oil light in your body's body's dashboard. The medical approach is to put a band-aid over the oil light with medications such as narcotics. As you can imagine, this works out very poorly. His, Dr. Jacob Teitelbaum, medical doctor, he says, my published research and experience with treating thousands of people with chronic severe pain has shown that most people can get pain-free by treating the root cause of the pain. So if the oil light is on, put oil in the car and it will go off. Like I was talking earlier about nutrients. If your body has pain, give your body what it is asking for and the pain will go away. It really can be that simple. Keep in mind that in most cases, your body is not asking for medication. It is asking for natural alternatives to turn off the inflammation, help your muscles and joints to heal, and speed wound healing. So some of these are curcumin, curcumin, which is the vibrant golden compound in turmeric. It has long history of relieving chronic pain thanks to its powerful anti-inflammatory properties. Um, So curcumin is really good. There is another one. It's called, um, let's see, curcuminoid. It helps with, um, oh, the second one is boswellia, which is also called frankincense. Boswellia is another pain-relieving anti-inflammatory that works particularly well for chronic joint pain. The active component in the herb are boswellic acid, and the most important of these is acetyl-11-keto-beta-boswellic acid, also known as AKBA. A-K-B-A. AKBA modulates an enzyme called 5-LOX, L-O-X, that activates leukotrienes that induce inflammation. Like curcumin, Boswellia is not well absorbed by the body. That problem was solved with the creation of a highly absorbable form of boswellia standardized to provide at least 70% boswellic acid. The next one is DLPA, which stands for DL-phenylalanine. It is an amino acid that soothes pain by blocking the enzymes that break down two of the body's own pain-killing chemicals, endorphins and encephalins. So DL-phenylalanine, D-L-P-A, is an amino acid that soothes pain by blocking the enzymes that break down two of the body's own pain-killing chemicals, which are endorphins and encephalins. Though not an anti-inflammatory, research shows that DL-phenylalanine helps reduce the pain associated with migraines, multiple sclerosis, so Jim, are you're still listening, multiple sclerosis, and fibromyalgia by stimulating nerve pathways in the brain that control pain. It even has shown to alleviate the pain often experienced by late-stage cancer patients. One clinical trial of 20 patients found that DLPA reduced their chronic pain by 50% in just two weeks. Other studies have shown that taking DL-phenylalanine the day before undergoing acupuncture for pain management increased the effectiveness of the treatment, especially in people with dental and low back pain. And then, of course, we have hemp oil. It is the non-psychoactive form of the cannabis sativa plant that offers real pain relief when taken orally thanks thanks to its strong ability to check inflammation. While home to more than 100 beneficial compounds, hemp's most famous compound, cannabidiol, or CBD, Works with the body's own endocannabinoid system to relieve pain. One study that appeared in the European Journal of Pain suggests that a topical applied CBD gel eased osteoarthritis pain. After just four days, the researchers noted a distinct drop in inflammation and also in the signs of pain. Other research investigated the oral use of CBD which suggests it can be effective for managing rheumatoid arthritis and other chronic inflammatory diseases. Those with fibromyalgia may also find relief. And that has been shown in different studies. Folks, I have sadly come to the end of the show. As the opioid crisis grows and conventional doctors find themselves under pressure to find alternatives, these four natural remedies just might be the answer they are looking for. I thank you for all your time For those who stuck with me for three hours, I really thank you. And I hope that you have a wonderful week. I will be back next week. So stay tuned for that. Have a good weekend.